Alright, okay, it's going. Okay, so pretty much I'm going to start reading, you know, a book. Because, well, I needed something to do that's different than video games and stuff. And I'm not a good reader, so I might as well, hey, I might as well read a book. And the thing is, though, I'm not a good reader, nor am I a good talker, and I'm sick. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, and I'm not a professional. I can read at a college level, apparently since middle school. However, I've never read a book since then. So, I'm just going to go at it. Will I mess up in words? Yes. Yes, I will. Will I do random accents if that makes no damn sense? Yes. Yes, I will, because I make... Okay, so this book is actually called Ghosts of the Shadow Market. Apparently, there's like werewolves and vampires and stuff in it. So, apparently, I'm going to make one of the vampires Asian or German or something. Just so I can change it up a bit. But like I said, this is Ghosts of the Shadow Market. I am not good at reading. So, more than likely, this is going to be like funny moments, blah, blah, blah. Like newbie reader and stuff. Alright, I got this at Walmart. Wally World or wherever you want to call this. Okay, so pretty much, uh, Ghost in the Shadow Market. Now, I open up the book and it's pretty much showing, like, the first thing you see is the, uh, stuff talking about what secrets does the Shadow Market hold on the, uh, you know, book cover and stuff. Alright. So, the Shadow Market is a meeting point for fairies, werewolves, warlocks, and vampires. There, the downworlders buy and sell magical objects, make dark bargains, and whisper secrets they do not want to see. Nifium? Nifium? Nifium! To know. Through two centuries, however, there has been a frequent visitor to the Shadow Market from the City of Bones, the very heart of the Shadow Hunter's world. As a silent brother, brother. Zachariah is a sworn keeper of the laws and lore of the Nephilim, but once he was a shadow hunter and called Jim Carstars, and his love, then and always, is the warlock Tessa Gray. And Jim is searching through the shadow markets in many different cities over the long years for a relic from his past. <clears throat> like I said, I'm sick, so I can be coughing a little bit. Follow Jim and see against the Backdrop of the Shadow Market's dark dealings and festival, Anna Lightwood's doomed romance, Matthew Fairchild's great sin, and Tessa Gray as she plunged into the world war. Valentine Morgenstern buys a soul at the market, and a young Jace Wayland soul finds safe harbor, and the market is hidden in a lost hair. And a beloved ghost, and no one can save you once you have traded away your heart. Not even Brother Zachariah. Okay, so that was it. So that was pretty much what this is going to be. Um, have you read any of it? I just scanned through it. Alright, this is a pretty darn thick book. Um, 613, 614? Yeah, I'm on the very last page, and it is uh, 614. Oh, and guess what? I'm at the very end, and the first sentence I see is Seven Deadly Sins. Okay, that's cool. Um, I don't have, like, a, uh, book saver, bookmarker thing in my bobber, but I do got a Pokemon card, so that's what I'm gonna use. Alright, so I may move my phone a little bit, just so I can go back to, you know, reading certain pages and stuff, because I don't know how I can go the, uh, microphone is. Like I said, I'm not a professional. 
All right, so uh, we got. Okay, so this is other books by this writer. This writer is uh, Cassandra Clare. We got Mortal Instruments, uh, uh, like how it has Mortal Instruments, and underneath it has all the books in it. So it'd be uh, City of Bones, City of Ashes, City of Grass, City of Fallen Angels, City of Lost Souls, and City of Heavenly Fire. Next, we have the series called The Infernal Devices. We got Clockwork Angel, Clockwork Prince, and Clockwork Princess. Next, we got the Dark Artifices. Artif- Artifices? So we got Last Midnight, Lord of the Shadows, and Queen of Air and Darkness. Next, we have The Eldest Curses with Wesley Chu. Uh, we got The Red Scrolls of Magic, The Shadowhunters Codex. And the Bane Chronicles. Alright. Alright. So pretty much we got like five writers. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Five. I'm counting here. Cassandra Clare, Sarah Reese Brennan, Maureen Johnson, Kelly Link, and Robin Wasserman. Alright. Alright, 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 alright. Shadows. Go to the Shadow Market. Okay, so uh, we got one of the content pages. Okay, so it looks like there's a uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10 chapters. I'm so glad I'm not doing a, a chapter per episode because that would be way too long. We got Cast Long Shadows, that's chapter 1. Every Exquisite Thing, chapter 2. Learn About Loss, chapter 3. A Deeper Love, chapter 4. The Wicked Ones, chapter 5. Son of the Dawn, chapter 6. The Land I Lost, chapter 7. Through Blood, Through Fire, Chapter 8. The Lost World, Chapter 9. And last but not least, Forever Fallen, Chapter 10. Alright, so next page we have a, um... We have a picture, a black and white, looks like pencil-drawn picture. Uh, because it has a a little charcoal face in it. Um, we have three people, two guys and a girl making a circle. Uh, dancing in a snowy area, but... In the background, it has castles and stuff, but it also seems like it has a railway system, so... Nothing. Oh, one of the guys have a tail. Uh, the girl has horns, and I don't know what the other guy has. Alright, so let's go ahead and start. <coughs> Alright, the Shatter Market. 1901. I think this is the introduction, I believe. Yeah, I think this is the introduction. Okay, so let's go ahead and get this on the way. This is London, 1901. Like I said, old time. Saw a castle thing, but that was probably Big Ben. Um, okay, so let's just get it going. All right. The Shadow Market, London, 1901. The Rai Viaduct passed only a hybrid away from St. Savior's Church. There had been discussion among the mundanes about the possibility of demolishing the church to make way for the railroad, but it had met an unexpected fierce opposition. Instead, the railway took a slightly more circuitous route, and the spire of the church still remained, a silver dagger against the night sky. Beneath the arches, crosses, and railing rails, a mundane market was held by day, the largest, largest association of grocers in the city. By night, the market belonged to the downworld. Vampires and werewolves, warlocks and fae, 
meet under the stars and under the glamour that human eyes could not pierce. They had their magic stalls set up in the same pattern as the human stalls under the bridges through tiny streets. But the shadow market stalls did not hold apples or turnips. Under the dark arches, the stalls shone, laden with bells and ribbons, gaudy with color, snake green, fever red, and the startling orange of flames. Brother Zachariah smelled incense burning and heard the songs of werewolves for the distant beauty of the moon, and fairies calling for children to come away, come away, take you away to London. I don't know. I, okay, that was just me. You know, and like I said, I'm not a professional, so don't expect too much. It was the first shadow market of the new year by English standards, though it was still the old year in China. Brother Zachariah left Shanghai when he was a child and London when he was 17 to go to the silent city where there was no acknowledgement of time passing save that the ashes of more warriors were laid down. Still, he remembered the celebrations of the New York and his human life. From eggnog and fortune telling in London to the setting of fireworks and nibbling on moon dumplings in Shanghai. Now, snow was falling on London. The air was crisp and cold as fresh apples and felt good against his face. The voices of brothers were low hum in his head, affording brother Zachariah a little distance. Zachariah was here on a mission, but he took a brief time to be glad he was in London in the Shatter Market to breathe a clear air of the dust of the departed. It felt something like freedom, like you being young again. He rejoiced, but that did not mean the people of the Shadow Market rejoiced with him, though. He observed many downwarders and even mundane with the sight, casting him looks like casting him looks that were opposite of welcoming. As he moved, a dark murmur threaded through the hum of conversation all around him. The denizens of Downward considered this market time as space snatched away from angels. They clearly did not relish his presence among them. Brother Zachariah was one of the silent brothers, a voiceless fraternity that lived along amid old bones, sworn to seclusion with hearts dedicated to the dust of their city and their dead. Nobody could be expected to embrace a silent brother, and these people would not be likely to make a pleasure in the appearance of any shadow hunter at all. Even as he doubt, he saw a stranger sight than any he had expected in the market. There was a shadow hunter boy dancing in a in can can with three fairies. He was Charlotte and Henry Fairchild's younger son, Matthew Fairchild. He had a thrown back. Wait, he had a thrown back, his hair far bright by firelight, and he was laughing. Brother Zachariah had an instant to wonder if Matthew was spellbound before Matthew caught sight of him and sprang forward, leaving the fairies behind him, looking discomfited. Now, I did not mess up. That's, that is how this is written. Okay, I, I could have wondered if it was like a parenthesis or something, but there's nothing there, so that was actually how it came. The fair folk were not accustomed to having mortals skip out on their dances. Matthew did not appear to notice. He ran up to Brother Zachariah through exuberant arm about about his neck and ducked his head under the hood of the silent brother to give him a kiss on the cheek. Uncle Jim! Matthew exclaimed joyfully. Joyfully, What are you doing here? Shadowhunter Academy, Idris, 1899. So... 
Okay, so pretty much after he goes, what are you doing here? Just immediately, just a giant space, then he goes, you know, back in time. We're now in uh, Shadowhunter Academy 1899 now, apparently. So, I don't know what that's about. As soon as I know the voice, oh, look at that. Now we're back in time. Matthew Fairchild hardly ever lost his temper. When he did, he tried to make the occasion memorable. The last time had been two years ago, during Matthew's short-lived stint at Shadowhunter Academy. A school intended could not walk unless he was carefully watched. Uh, did I skip a page? Oh shit, I did. I did skip a page. Okay, so let me reread that. Last time I have seen. Wait. Last time had been two years ago during Matthew's short lived stint at Shadowhunter Academy. A school intended to mass produce perfect demon fighting boars. It began with half the school crowded on a tower top, watching the parents arrive after an incident in the woods with a demon. Matthew's usual good humor had already been sorely tried. His best friend, James, was being blamed for the incident simply because James happened to have a tiny, insignificant amount of demon blood and the Matthew thought previously lucky ability to transform into a shadow. Uh, James was being expelled. The actual people to blame unmitigated wart. Wait. Wait, yeah. Unmitigated wart Alistair casters and his rotten friends were not being expelled. Life in general and the academy in particular was a positive parade of injustice. And that's a good word to put it as. Matthew had not even had the chance to ask James if he wanted to be Parabeti yet. What? That's the first word I heard. I mean, that's the first time I've seen that word. Woo, I can't read. He had been planning to ask him to be sworn warrior partners in a very elaborate and stylish fashion so Jamie would be too impressed to decline. Mr. Herondale, James's father, was among the first of the parents to arrive. They saw him stride in the doors with his black hair turbulent from wind and rage. Mr. Hamlet undeniably had an air. Like an A-I-R, not H-E-I-R. Like, he had an air. What? <laughs> I don't get that. So, I mean, like, the writers probably was, like, you know, a different country because I never heard that phrase. The few girls permitted to come to the academy were casting James spectative glances. Uh, I can't read. James shuffled about the place with his head in a book and an unfortunate haircut and an unassuming demeanor, but he bore a very marked resemblance to his father. James, angel bless his oblivious soul, failed to notice anyone's attention. He slunk away to be expelled, sunk in despair. Gosh! Wait, is this Larkspear? Gosh! said Lux's Larkspear. It would be something to have a father like that. Wow, I can't believe I just gave that little kid a deep voice. Wow. I heard he was mad, said Alistair as he let out a bark of laughter. <laughs> You'd have to be mad to marry a creature with inferior, infernal blood and have children who were... Don't, said little Thomas quietly to everyone's surprise. Alistair rolled his eyes and... Desisted. Desisted? Desisted, okay. Matthew wanted to be the one who had made Alistair stop, but Thomas had already done it, and Matthew could not think of any way to stop Alistair permanently short of challenging him to a duel. He was not even sure that would work. Alistair was not a coward and would probably accept the challenge and then talk twice as much. 
Besides which, Gideon's fights was not precisely Matthew's style. He could fight, but he did not think violence solved any problems. Aside from that problem of demons laying waste to the world, that was. Matthew left the tower top abruptly and wandered the halls of the academy in a foul mood. Despite his commitment to dark brooding, he knew he he, he was duty. Wait, yeah, okay. Despite his commitment to dark brooding, he knew he was duty bound not to lose track of Christopher and Thomas Lightwood for long. I don't even know how to examine people so far. Then again, I am probably skipping. There is other books by this person, so I probably should go in order, but oh well. Uh, where was I? When he was six, Matthew's older brother Charles Buford and their mama had left the house for a meeting at the London Institute. Charlotte Fairchild was the consul, the most important person of all the shadow hunters, and Charles had always been interested in her work instead of resenting the brothersome Nephilim for taking up her time. As they prepared to go, Matthew had stood in the hall crying and refused to let go of his mother's dress. Mama had knelt down and asked that Matthew please take care of Papa for her while she and Charles were gone. Matthew took this Matthew took this responsibility seriously. Papa was a genius, and that most people consider are invalid because he could not walk. Unless he was carefully watched, he would get to eat in the excitement of invention. Papa could not get on without Matthew. Uh, yeah, Matthew. Uh, Papa cannot get on without Matthew, which was why it was absurd that Matthew had been sent to the academy in the first place. Matthew likes to take. Matthew likes to take care of people. I'm reading too damn fast. I'm reading too damn fast. I should slow down a bit. Okay, let me slow down. Okay, okay. Matthew liked to take care of people, and he was good at it. When they were eight, Christopher Lightwood had been discovered in Papa's laboratory performing what Papa described as a very intru- intriguing experiment. Matthew had noticed that there was now a wall missing in the laboratory, and he took Christopher under his wing. Christopher and Thomas were real cousins, the father's brothers. Matthew was not a real cousin. He only called Christopher and Thomas' parents... Aunt Cicely and Uncle Gabriel and Aunt Susie and <laughs> Uncle Gideon, respectively, out of courtesy. Their parents were only friends. Mama had no close family, and Papa's family did not approve of Mama being a consul. James was Christopher's blood cousin. Aunt Cicely was Mr. Herndale's sister. Mr. Herndale ran a London Institute, and the Herndales tended to keep themselves. Unkind people said it was because they were snobbish or thought themselves superior, but Charlotte said those people were ignorant. Uh, she told Matthew the Herndale Center to keep themselves as they experienced unkindness due to Miss Herndale being a warlock. Still, uh, when they ran the Institute, you couldn't be completely invisible. Uh, Matthew had seen James in various parties before and tried to acquire him as a friend. Only Matthew was... Um, Peter, because he felt he should contribute to parties, being a success, and James attended. Okay, so <clears throat> I was into I was interrupted. Uh, so cry. 
I don't really know where I was, so I'm just gonna stay right here. Uh, she told Matthew the Hernandels tended to keep them to themselves, as they had experienced unkindness due to Miss Hernandels being a warlock. Still, when you ran an institute, you couldn't be completely invisible. Matthew had seen James at various parties before and tried to acquire him as a friend. Only Matthew was impeded because he felt he should contribute to parties being a success. James tended to be a corner reading. Now, I believe I am where I left off. Okay. It was usually a simple matter for Matthew to make friends, but he did not see the point unless it was a challenge. Friends who were easy to get might be easy to lose. Matthew wanted to keep people. That's actually kind of smart, actually. It had been rather shattering when James seemed to actively dislike Matthew, but Matthew had won him over. He still was not entirely sure how, which made him uneasy, but James had recently referred to himself, Matthew, as Christopher. Wait, Matt, wait, wait, what? He still was not entirely sure how, which made him uneasy, but James had recently referred to himself, Matthew, Christopher, and Thomas as the Three Musketeers and Dargagan from a book he liked. Everything he had been going splendidly aside from missing Papa, but now James was expelled and everything was ruined. Still, Matthew could not forget his responsibilities. Christopher had tempuous relationship with the with science and Professor Fell had commanded Matthew not to let Christopher come into contact with any flammable materials after the last time. Thomas was so quiet and small they were always losing him, rather like a human marble. And if and if left to his own devices he would inevitably roll toward Alistair Carstairs. This was a hideous situation with only one bright side. It was a simple matter to locate Thomas when he was lost. Matthew had only to follow the sound of Alistair's irritating voice. Unfortunately, this meant being forced to behold Alistair's deteriorating face. Well, yeah, if you need to talk to somebody, you gotta see their face. He found Alistair soon enough, gazing out of a window, with Thomas shyly standing at his elbow. Thomas' hero worship was inexcitable. The only things Matthew could find to like about Alistair was his extraordinary expressive eyebrows and eyebrows did not make him the man. Yeah, yeah. Are you very sad, Alistair? Matthew heard Thomas ask as he approached, bent on retrieval. I ain't giving these little kids really deep voices for some reason. Stop bothering me, peep squeak, said Alistair. See, I gave him the right voice. Okay, let me repeat that. Stop bothering me, peep squeak, said Alistair through his voice was tolerant, even he could not strongly object to being adored. You heard the you heard the low, snaky serpent, said Matthew. Come away, Tom. Ah, oh, mother henfatcher, sneered Alistair. What a lovely wife you would make for somebody one of these fine days. Matthew was outraged to see Thomas' tiny smile, though Thomas quickly concealed it out of respect for Matthew's feelings. Thomas had meek and much affected by sisters. He seemed to think Alistair being rude to everyone was daring. I wish I could say the same for you, said Matthew. 
He has no counsel thoughts to inform you that your hairstyle is to use the gentlest words available to me, ill-advised. A friend, your papa, does anybody care enough to prevent you from making a spectacle of yourself? Or are you just simply too busy perpetrating acts of evil upon the innocent to bother about your unfortunate appearance? Matthew, said Thomas. His friend died. Matthew strongly desired to point out that Alistair and his friends had been the ones to unleash demon upon James and their nasty prank going wrong was no more than their just desserts. He could see, however, that he would distrust Thomas extremely. Oh, very well, let's go, he said, though I cannot help but wonder whose idea their nasty little trick was. No, no, wait. Okay, so that was the fair child. Okay. Oh, very well. Let's go, he said. Though I cannot help but wonder whose idea their nasty little trick was. Wait, 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 wait a moment, fair child. Snapped Alistair. You can go ahead, Lightwood. Thomas looked deeply worried as he went, but Matthew could see but his love to disobey his idol. When Thomas' word hazel eyes looked to Matthew, and Matthew nodded, and Thomas reluctantly departed. Uh, when he was gone, Matthew and Alistair squared off. Matthew understood that Alistair had sent Thomas away for a purpose. He bit his lip, resigned to a scuffle. Alistair, instead, Alistair said, Who are you to play Demoris, talking about tricks and poplars concerning the circumstances of your birth? I don't know why, I was going Ronald Reagan at the very end. Criminals! Okay, Matthew frowned. What on earth are you driving about, Kyastires? Everyone talks about your mama and her unwomanly pursuits, said awful, unthinkable, warm Alistair Kyastires. Matthew scuffled, but Alistair raised his voice, persisting. A woman cannot be a good counsel. Nevertheless, your mother can continue her career, of course, since she has strong support from a powerful Lightwoods. Certainly, certainly our families are just friends, said Matthew. Are you unfamiliar with the concept of friendship, Costas? How tragic for you through understandable on the part of everyone else in the universe. Alistair raised his eyebrows. Oh, great friends, no doubt. Your mama just required friends, since your papa is unable to play a man's part. Oh, snap, crackle, pop. I beg your pardon, said Matthew. Odd, but you were born so long after your papa's terrible accident. Alistair said, all but twirling with imaginary mustache. Strange that your papa's family will have nothing to do with you, to the extent of demanding that your mother renounce her married name. Remarkable that you bear no resemblance to your papa, and your calling is so like Gideon Lightwoods. Oh, snap, crackle, and pop. Oh, Gideon Lightwood was... Thomas's papa. No wonder Alistair had sent Thomas away before making ridiculous accusations like that. It was absurd. Perhaps it was true that Matthew had fair hair while his mama's was brown and his father's and Charles Buford's was red. Matthew's mama was tiny, but Cook said he thought Matthew could be taller than Charles Buford. Uncle Gideon was often with mama. Uh, Matthew knew he had spoken for her when she at the odds with the clave. Mama had once called him to her good and faithful friends. Matthew had never thought much about it before. 
His mama said his papa had such a dear, friendly, freckled face. Matthew had always wished to look like him, but he didn't. Matthew said his voice strange in his own ears. I do not understand uh, what you mean. Henry Fairchild is not your father, spat Alistair. You are Gideon Lightwood's bastard. Everybody knows it but you. And I white and blind in rage, Matthew struck him in the face. Then he went to find Christopher, clear the area, and gave him matches. Okay. A short but eventful time passed before Matthew left school, never to return. And at interval, a wing of the academy blew up. Oh, so I must have missed that part. Part of the academy, you know, just blew up. I thought we was at the demons. You know, demons in the woods. Oh, there was a demon attack. There's a little bit of blood on him. Okay. Oh, look at that. The academy blew up. I must have missed that part. Must have been in the other books. Damn it. I would have loved to have seen that one. Or read that one, or however you want to call it. Matthew realized it had been rather a shocking thing to do. But while he was deranged, he also demanded James to be... His pirate and some miracle James agreed. Matthew and his papa arranged to spend more time at Fairchild's London home so that Matthew could be with both his papa and his parabati. It's P-A-R-A-B-A-T-A-I. Parabati? Parabati? Mm. It had all Matthew considered worked out rather well. If only he could forget. Okay, so now we are back in the Shadow Market 19... One, we're on page 13 out of 600. Woo! This is gonna be a while. Um, I guess I should end there. I will put my, uh, Pokemon card facing down so I know I should go there. So, pretty much what we, this, what we talked through right there was, um, we're in London, 1901. Uh, so pretty much we were this gym guy, not gym guy, um, Zachariah, that was his name. I have to go through the book real quick. Zachariah was going through and we see Matthew, a son of a really, really rich person who owns the Institute. So he came up and hugged me or Zachariah. And then we go back in time from two years ago to 1898 or 1899. I can't remember which one. So now we're back in this Institute. There was a demon attack or a prank that was made by a person called Alistair. Uh, so pretty much, uh, Matthew's friend was expelled because he was fighting a demon because it was demon blood on him and stuff like that. So that's how they knew, but it was a prank from Alistair. So now James, which is Matthew's friend is now expelled. Uh, Alistair was talking about how Matthew's father is not really his father. It's, uh, his friend's father. So that's why they were like so close together and stuff. So that was actually making sense to him. But, uh, so Matthew left, uh, the Institute, left Alistair, took James to be his parabati. I don't know what that is yet. I'm gonna have to look it up. So, now we're back in 1901 London. So, pretty much that's all it is. I just summed up, uh, 30 minutes worth of uh, reading into about 2 minutes worth of talking. That's awesome. So far, I'm liking this book, but it's like 600 pages. I should have started with a smaller book. But, oh well, this is Ghost of the Shadow Market. Uh, this is episode one. I need to write down, you know, what episode I'm on. 
Because, you know, that would be very, very, very useful. Alright, so we are on episode one, part one. I don't know which one. We're on one. Alright, alright, alright. Thank you all for listening, and I will be back tomorrow. I don't know when, but I will definitely be back to read more. Because once I finish this book, I'll go to the next book. Woo! And hopefully I won't get interrupted like I did this time. Damn.